Hi everyone, welcome to the Royal Podcast of Oz. This is Jay. And Sam. And we're back for our first episode in 2017 with another episode of Movies of Oz, talking about another episode of the Oz Kids, specifically Underground Adventure, which we've come to believe is actually the third uh, entry in the series. Maybe, yeah. And why is that? Despite our previous assumptions, well, number one is that this goes a little bit further into introducing a little bit more who the kids are, what the relationships are, a little bit more establishing about the characters early on. There's some continuity with um, Rick, and there's also a little bit of continuity with Virtual Oz. We'll note when we get to that bit. Now, our installment begins with a story with possibly the greatest story ever told, at least in terms with Oz, anyway. You see, the Oz kids are getting ready to visit their auntie's scraps, and as they're getting cleaned up or dressed and the like, they are being told by their parents, each in their own place and time, about the time that Dot and Nettie's mom, Dorothy, met Scarecrow Jr.'s dad, Tin Boy's dad, and Boris and Bella's dad, Mm-hmm. Which is, of course, the story of the wonderful Wizard of Oz. There's this one little thing in that each of them t- seems to be taking credit for killing the Wicked Witch of the West. Although they don't actually say that. Maybe it's just because the kids presume that their own dad did in the Wicked Witch. We never actually hear any of the dads say... And that, kids, is how I de- defeated the Wicked Witch of the West. Probably they just got carried away with it, you know? But, of course, they're like, it was Dot's mom that did her in. Although, the one bit about the story that's probably not written correctly is that, yes, we do l- learn that this Toto that we see in every adventure is Toto 2, like a descendant of the original Toto, but apparently that the original Toto was a mom. Yes. So apparently in this, in the continuity of Oz that the Oz kids is in, it turns out that Toto is female. Which doesn't really change the story, the original story that much, so whatever. But, you know, you kind of have to view this as a separate continuity from the books, even though it does kind of take a whole lot more from them than other versions. Didn't you say that Willard Cowell wrote these adventures? Yes, and he also wrote a book called um, I Toto, which I haven't read yet or own a copy of, but from what I understand, it's an amusing uh memoir of Terry the dog written uh, telling the story of how she filmed the Wizard of Oz from her perspective so it's from the perspective of a dog now of course Terry was a female dog film who played Toto in the movie so it could be very much a reference to that yeah but everybody knows that the original Toto was a boy so if this Toto's mom is supposed to be like some joke at another book of art or work of art in a book. 
it's not really one that really works well in the overall context. Well, like I say, it doesn't really make a huge difference that Toto is a girl because as long as she still does the same things that Toto's supposed to do. But anyways, so the kids are getting ready to go to visit Auntie Scraps. They reveal that along the way they're going to, they stop at that Lake Horizon for a swim. And Lake Horizon is straight out of Thompson's books. Now, um, they get to Auntie Scraps and since we've already seen uh, Virtualize, there's notably no Betty. So presumably this is before that episode. So, once again, we goofed on continuity, but hey, we're still figuring it out because we haven't exactly been closely examining these. Is it possible that maybe this is set up to virtual laws, but maybe Baby Betty is not included? She, I mean, that she does exist, but she just not, does not appear? It could be possible, but another thing is that um, Rick is waiting for them at Auntie Scraps. And he mentions that he just got back from presumably the tour that he was supposedly on in. Um, he supposedly got back from the tour he was on during the Gnome Prince and the Magic Belt. And, um, mm-hmm. let's see, in virtual Oz, uh, Andrea's already met Otto, and Otto, but she first met him in Christmas in Oz, which was definitely after Rick's big, um, Tour of eyes, so I don't think this would take place uh, after it. All right. And yes, I am a nerd for the continuity. So. Mm. <laughs> well, while the Oz kids are visiting their aunt Scraps and getting reunited with Rick, Frank is meanwhile with his dad, the Wizard of Oz, the one and only Wizard of Oz and getting in his balloon, going to see his hometown, San Francisco. Yes. Which is a place I've never really seen much of myself. But the animation, like the character design and the like, um, may remind you of Charmed with the Golden Gate Bridge. Although, of course, it's more red than Golden Gate. But I digress. I really do like the animation this time around in this opening segment because in the next few minutes we meet three more possible honorary kids who will visit Oz and along with one adult who these three kids are so well designed and developed. They are all international kids. They are part of a debate club. They are a Chinese or Japanese boy named Hiro, a redhead girl with glasses named Harriet, and an African-American or black girl named Hani. Mm -hmm. And they're being driven on the bus by Sam, who we will see again later. But I really do like the animation and the character designs for these characters. They're so solid. They are well proportioned and have a good three dimension to them. And this also presents them with some character development, as we'll see later. The kids are a little too grown up. 
but you know just having an adventure helps them whereas uh, <clears throat> Sam doesn't really live for the moment he is a little bit too withdrawn he, he talks about how he has seven cats and a parrot oh boy what a menagerie but he's sort of a male version of Diana Ross's Dorothy I suppose but anyway we mustn't I mustn't forget to mention that although we always see very little of the wizard this time we actually do see his hair and it's not white or black or even bald so much yeah he's blonde and you thought maybe he looks a bit like John Fricky I admit yes which, hey, you know, if you're going to make the wizard look like anybody, <laughs> why not him? That's a very good point. Why not? As I said before, I really do like this animation. In this adventure, it seems so much more sophisticated, especially with more human characters. But there are still occasionally animation bloopers where the color or the designs of the character's clothes will change. So that will lose some consistency and really be, well, not entirely a perfect match with the rest of the scene. But it's only a small bit, so it passes by quickly. But still, it's really sloppy work to make mistakes like that, especially in the one scene. Original Scarecrow's clothes change from blue in one scene to green and brown in the next, and then later, when the kids are talking about something later, they're in the pajamas and then briefly in their own clothes again. But again, getting back to San Francisco, there's some odd bit where whenever somewhere in the outside world feels the Earth move, as Oz puts it, Oz actually senses it. So the kids hear this rumbling noise, which is actually an earthquake in San Francisco which catches Frank and the bus and the kids and the driver. And Frank does try to save them, but he gets caught up in it. So they fall down into the underground city of the Mangaboos, which has glass uh, buildings. And of course, there's some stones uh, fall through. They get broken. And they're pushed by the Mangaboos, who in this version are walking, talking vegetables with humanoid features. Mm. The most human out of them all is, I suppose, Greg the Thorn Sorcerer. We don't actually get the, uh, let's see, what's the word I'm looking for? We don't actually get the specification that he is the Greg the Thorn Sorcerer. We don't even get the name. It's possible he may not even be a Thorn Sorcerer, but he's still in clothes. He's the most human. And... Unlike the original book, there are three suns. They're all the same color. And it was actually while the bus was falling that I thought, hmm, is this their equivalent of doing Dorothy's falling house? Because the way the bus is animated falling, it does seem very reminiscent of Dorothy's falling house, whether it's from the MGM film or any other adaptation. But also... They're underground, underground in San Francisco, and they say that they're in Oz. Yeah, this kind of causes a little question there, because um, 
in the books, the you know, this isn't part of Oz at all. It's an underground country. Uh, the maps of Oz depicted under Bubbleland. But speaking of Bubbleland, that'll pop up later, and I have a little theory that I'll get to then. <clears throat> so. so, of course, they're in the underground kingdom of the Mangaboos with the Glass City, and those vegetable people are very antagonistic, refusing to listen to reason or the truth, and imprisoning their trespassers with celery ropes in the glass house. However, because they're celery ropes, they're easily um, taken care of. Because it makes sense. If they're going to be wrapped up by prisoners, if you're going to be held hostage by vegetable people, I... I don't believe the vegetable people would really eat their own vegetable materials. So that's one thing they underestimated about humans. Of course, when you're escaping from some antagonistic vegetable people, there's no time to be picky about extra flavors for celery ropes, especially eating them. One of the uh, girls is like, oh, I can get through it with some peanut butter, but they don't have any. They're just like, just eat it. And she eat it! So she goes ahead and starts, uh, Hudson. So then, um, they escape back to the bus, but the Mangaboos give chase. And Frank manages to hold them up with a trick by creating several suns, which is directly out of the book. Except here, they're emergency lanterns from the bus. And, um, they, they kind of pick up that it might be a trick. But then when, uh, Sam manages to turn on the bus's his lights, there, had, had finally does the trick and scares them off. So they all get on board the bus and travel down as far as they can until they run out of uh, gas. But I do have to admit, the shot where it shows the bus traveling along, I, I thought that was nicely animated. Yeah, it's really done well. This And Sam's starting to become a bit more of a responsible adult in this surreal encounter yeah. experience. But um, meanwhile, the news of Frank's departure has reached Oz. Now, it apparently, now Rick says that the wizard just got back from San Francisco, and I'm surprised. The wizard left his son? He, the wizard came back to Oz without his son? He thinks he, uh, he'd have a better chance of finding Frank in Oz than, uh, than back in, uh, in San Francisco, since he can access things like the magic picture, which we don't see till later, but, you know... And, yeah, I guess it does create a flaw for this specific story, because if it's not mentioned, you're not really addressing it. And now that you mention it right now, maybe it's possible that any magic the wizard has, or that he would normally use in this search party, would not work in the real world. Rick tells the kids that Frank is missing, and Andrea gets the word from her mother, Glinda, who... Again, we don't really see from sight, but we do see her sitting on a throne, a gold or tree-like throne. So Andrea decides to go looking for Frank herself, and because she also knows... Uh, let's see, how does it go? Glinda tells Andrea that Frank is missing. She decides to go look for him. She No, she decides to go tell the kids that Frank is missing. And when she magically sets herself there, she finds out that the kids have already left 
to find Frank, but they've also left a note behind and left Nettie and Toto behind. So Rick goes to find the kids who are go look who are going looking for Frank, and she decides to Frank to find Frank so that they can all be indebted to her. So that begins a little running joke of her appearing and disappearing from different places. Which includes a funny little bit where she appears in blank space and she says, Oh, I'm in the invisible country. I forgot that if I, uh, that even if they were here, I couldn't see them anyways. Which is that maybe she looks a bit too dark for supposedly being invisible as long as everyone else. I don't, I must say that I really hate to mention it, but when Ned gets left behind, he starts to cry about it. But it's, maybe it's because the, it's a, there's a bit of reason, because in an earlier scene, the kids were playing hide-and-seek, and they didn't really get around to enjoy playing it, because Ned was it, and he couldn't count. So, Auntie Scrap says that she'll help him learn to count. So, whatever you do to, can do to help uh, Nettie stay happy. The kids go looking around, and they come to um, what they call West Boboland, and which makes me think, wait a minute, Boboland is now part of Oz? Which makes me think, so in this version, is the reason why we don't see Ozma is because now she's the Grand Empress of all the surrounding fairylands, which is now considered this huge empire of Oz? Anyway, the Oz kids do go to many places trying to find Frank. I mean, as you mentioned, there's Boboland. That doesn't look that much different from any other part of Oz that we've seen. Andrea appears in the Invisible Country. She also checks out Lake Horizon and the Blue Forest. Actually, the Oz kids leave Bobo Land just before Andrea gets there. And while the Oz kids are looking for Frank, Frank and the kids and Sam are still traveling all over the underground country. And... Well, after the logical escape from the vegetable people, after the bus breaks down due to lack of gas, they've gone out of the vegetable frying pan and into the fire sneezing dragonettes. Fortunately, these are much different from the ones that we read about in the book. There are three of them. They are cute. They are not talking about eating pacifiers. And they are tied up, but it's by chains, not by their tails. And they have a cold. Well, the, uh, the debate kids point out that uh, it's impossible for multiple beings to have a cold. They have that they each have specific colds. But, you know, whichever. The dragonettes, however, are pretty reasonable and that the kids go by... And there they do run into Mama and happen to hide, and she luckily doesn't spot them. It, it is very funny, and and actually quite um, informative that we have these kids who correct Grandma and debate certain topics and discussions, and otherwise just present that bit more information in the most simplest subjects. In fact, later, they even talk about what do you call the people of Oz? Ozites yeah. or Ozians? And that's, thankfully, when they get out of the mountain, they've climbed up the mountain to the top and then have to climb back down the mountain on the outside. Why do we do that? Halo, it's the way things are done here. 
And I'd say that these kids, Hero, Harriet, and Honey, hmm, it's funny how they, all three of them, begin with the letter H. I wonder if that's a coincidence or deliberate. Well, anyway, I think they represent probably different Oz fans, the International Wizard of Oz Club, and, you know, I suppose different people who are very young, but also a little bit too smart for their own good. Yeah, well, the debate between Ozites and Ozians, that apparently was a little uh, debate that went on among Oz fans, but I th haven't really heard it brought up recently. I think it's pretty much settled that either way you want to go is fine, but I think uh, Ozians kind of wound up being a little more favorite because in the musical Wicked, Glinda greets uh, the people as fellow Ozians. Well, I think... Despite Wicked, that Ozians is a better word because it has the letter A. But true, maybe Ozites is a mix between Oz and Citizens. I think just Ozians is a bit more, as Harriet says, a communal, more unified label for people. Thankfully, this is long before Wicked. But anyway as they get to some more travels, they enter a country that's definitely not part of Oz in the original book, but is nowadays. The wooden country of the wooden gargoyles. Which was called the land of not endorsing the wizard and eyes. N-A-U-G-H-D. It's only mentioned once. Uh, the guy who ha owns the Invisible House and the Valley of Verho mentions that's called the Land of Nott, where the Gargoyles live. Frank and his friends and the app and Sam get captured. And I must say, I actually do like the design for their prison here. I mean, true, it looks like just tall, skinny limbs and lines and cages. But I like the design. It's simple yet effective. And um, this is where the, our storylines converge because, you know, the kids get, get captured, uh, Frank and his friends get captured, Andrea pops in and winds up in the cage with them. Not that that does much good, but it's like, why can't you just use the wand to get out? I think because her hands are tied, literally, that she's unable to tap it at a certain position. Rick, who sat to look for the kids, but finds some... Um, surprisingly quickly for someone who just uh, uh, had his first tour of Oz, he manages to set them free and unscrews the hinges from all the wooden gargoyles thanks to a loan of a screwdriver from Tin Boy. He leaves the hinges and the screwdriver behind as a way to say that this is him being fair and that they, by the time they get themselves all put back together, they'll be back home. Yeah. Which is nicer than what the wizard did in Dorothy Wizard and Oz, which was setting the whole place on fire. After they took some of the wings to escape in the first place. But yeah, it's odd how just Rick, how Rick just manages to pop up then. I mean, yes, he was searching for him, but if there had been a previous scene where Rick sees the wooden gargoyles and watches them capture the kids... That would have been a good explanation, but there's nothing. No exposition, no mentioning, nothing. You know, now that I think about it, the happenstance might be uh, similar to that scene in Patchwork Girl of Oz where 
The Shaggy Man just happens to come by when uh, Ojo and his friends get uh, taken by the by the plants. I don't think it's a deliberate reference to that scene, but it is a little similar in spirit. Yeah. But it's, as you say, Rick is a little bit more sporting in disabling the wooden gargoyle so that they can make the escape. But generous enough to give them back the hinges and the screw. But <laughs> good luck putting the screws back on with your feet if you don't have any hands. Yeah, they they're not gonna have the easiest time, but let's the kid uh, let's get away. I suppose Which, you know, we're rooting for the kids anyway. I suppose it's also a little bit similar to how Ojo and the Shaggy Man, etc., take Chiss the porcupine's quills and just disposes them, but lets the porcupine go on his way so that he can never hurt anyone again. So we're noticing some thematic things from Patrick of Oz in the one that's based primarily on uh, Dorothy Wizard and Oz. But it has some touches from another Oz book, which is The Lost Princess of Oz, where our next big scene comes from. i got to say, though, that now that everybody is together again, that everybody has found Frank and that Rick has rescued them, they begin to make their own new journey now towards the Emerald City so that they can get the Sam and the San Francisco kids back home. But it was at this point that I wondered, if Andrea is free again, why doesn't she just use her magic to go home again? Does she really just want to make sure that Frank gets home all right? That her friends will be okay? I mean, why not just use her magic to get them all back to the Emerald City straight away? Well, there is why I think that... Um... She might be ready to have a little bit of a crush on Frank. Really? You think that Frank might have a potential girlfriend in Andrea? Possibly, if he's open to it. Well, I suppose Andrea does act a little flirtatious in the few seconds we see her in the opening, but she is a little bit more mischievous than anything else, and probably... I honestly would only see it more as her being a friend who's looking out for the welfare of her companions or colleagues. But who knows? I suppose there's something about non-magical Frank and his technology that that might make her interested, I suppose. But I'd say that she might be in for some serious competition because Harriet seems to be infatuated with him. Potential love triangle going on. Anyways, our next big obstacle is the Merigrand Mountains, which in this case are candy-striped and colored. Mm-hmm. And as Sam gets caught in them for a little bit of a while, and takes a while to get him back off, he has a traumatic time with them, constantly spinning around, calling for help, getting stuck, and when he finally does get off and back on solid ground, he just holds onto a tree and refuses to get anywhere near those candy-colored rolling monstrosities. Um, the kids manage to, well, specifically, he takes Rick's jacket, tears it apart into strips, and then ties them together into a rope, uh, manages to lasso a tree, and has everyone slide down um, between the mountains to get on, uh, onto the tree. So they can uh, get through easily. Mm. Although, um, 
Sam himself needs a little convincing from Rick. A little um, forced, yes, a little forced help. Rick, Rick, which Rick does apologize for, although Sam doesn't think he looks sorry enough. <laughs> but we've had so many adventures and we've had so much walking and adventures and encounters that there's only one thing left to do. Have lunch from Lunch Pail uh, Tree. Which I'm sure Boris is very glad of. However, it's a light lunch and if they're not careful, their sandwiches and stuff will float away. Which I'm sure is just a newly written bit. It certainly wasn't in the books, but I think that was probably just added for a bit of humor or comedy. I'd rather see uh, Flourish with Oz where they have a little bit more fun rather than having more excitement, danger, or people just being nasty to each other. (laughs) Okay. Ten man! Although I like that. (coughs) Wicked! And now that they're all together again, this is a very good opportunity for the kids from San Francisco to teach the Oz kids new things. Like, for example, stress. Now, Boris has been stressed before, but he didn't know about it then. So, Bella gives him an example of going through a day without food. Boris naturally finds that horrible. And Bella says, For future reference, brother, you are now under stress. I loved uh, Bella so much. Yeah, she's a spunky character. And um, then they went up in a forest, and they found the other book road... But um, soon they uh, get they get surprised by a bear who happens to be a little teddy bear. Now, did this teddy bear also appear in the Lost Princess of Oz? Because we're getting into that segment a bit more now. I can't really think of it because this bear is implied to be. At, I think here's what happened, and that is simply that. You know, these are the kids of the famous Oz characters. Here's the son of the King of Bear Center. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole point. This particular bear was not in Lost Princess. But, you know, for the same thing, neither were most of the main characters of the Oz kids. Mm-hmm. So. True, yes. Oh. But they also present a new problem for the kids because Harriet... Well, she doesn't mean any harm, it's an accident, but she just touches the belly button of the teddy and it falls off. So, the bear loses it, it cries. Oh, great, just what I like to see. Two scenes with blubbering babies. And, well, Harriet gets put on trial by the purple bear, George, in Bear Center, and has to be executed. Ever we see Sam's story arc come to fruition and he offers to take Harriet's place, which they decide to allow. However, the little pink bear who has been doing the sentencing um, and does it all in rhyme declares that um, his execution will take place in 90 years. And then like directly after he's sentenced that... Uh, they find the uh, missing button and it manages to be weird uh, where it, and it's assumably going to be attached so presumably everything is good we probably did quite a big jump here but yes uh, that's what happens the i actually thought that when i watched this i thought that the 
or at least when I first saw a scene of it from the making of the Oz Kids or the because of the general things it does on the MGM DVD set, that the Pubble Bear sounded, not that it was exactly him, but just that it sounded a lot like Eric Javag. Maybe. Um, I don't know if Eric's actually met Willard Carroll, but uh, perhaps it's a coincidence in this case. I wonder if maybe Eric might follow up with a comment when he ever he eventually hears this. <coughs> Shout out to you, Eric. Hi, Eric. I don't recall there being a trial scene in the Lost Princess Wars book. No. Do you? Um, no, they were questioned about why they'd come into Bear Center, you know, if they made any harm or anything. I think the trial that is, you know, in the end, pretty superfluous and... and you know, just really not worth it in the end is lifted from Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, except it's a much less severe crime being put on trial. <clears throat> so if you're eating a pigment, it's a uh, teddy bear losing its button. And, and as you say, Sam does step up here, but it's because he's willing to sacrifice himself because he's the adult and because he's responsible for the kids in the entire time that was supposed to be just a drive in San Francisco for the debate club, that the other kids expressed their love and gratitude for Sam, and this touches the pink bear, so he modifies the sentence. Yeah. Although, if they find the button soon after, thanks to Rick, I actually think that, wait a minute, bear center, doesn't this automatically render the trial defunct? Doesn't it automatic? Doesn't it then render the sentence pointless, withdrawn? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps, but still, I feel the trial served its purpose in having people answer for what happened. And well, you know, I think at the end, everyone's made their peace. Well, now that we've gotten all those sorted out. It's finally time to see the Emerald City. And man, it looks good as always. Where? And um, in the Emerald City, they have dinner again before the wizard takes the San Franciscans back home. Um, there's a little weird animation glitch I noticed while they were having dinner before that Frank's eyes open wide and they stay open wide throughout the rest of the shot. And it just looks like he's really surprised about something, but that's not followed up on, so I guess it's an animation glitch. Yeah, it happens. Okay. And of course, Emerald City is a beautiful place. It's possibly the best place to be in the Land of Oz, but it's not a perfect home for everybody because, yes, the Oz kids do want the other kids and Sam to stay, and he's glad to have been to Oz because it he's both he's been been able to grow up and become calm and at peace in this place but they decide that even if they do go home and tell everybody nobody would believe them so they decide to keep the secret of Oz as it is a secret but they'll remember it always yeah. maybe you know living there in that strange new world might be a fantasy but it's taught us to love so it's real real to me us 
it's not a, a completely sad goodbye because Harriet hopes that Frank may visit San Francisco again. Well, as Honey said before, she thinks that Harriet would follow him in, follow him anywhere. Uh-huh. I mean, there's not much to say when you get to the end of Oz where people who visit Oz return from Oz and return to their home where they say goodbye to Oz, leave the Emerald City, and the like. It's There's not much more you can say other than that it happens. We've had some nice visitors to Oz. They've had some growth and development, some really good animation. And I must say that this adventure has a lot less filler, a lot less... Um, useless scenes than the No Prince and the Magic Belt did. I even noticed that in that a lot of other ones I noticed that when the, the kids would talk there'd be like a delay between when Sarah would talk and be and then you'd get a, a response. I didn't notice that problem here. It was pretty really nicely paced in both how the dialogue flowed and how the scenes flowed and how everything worked together. It's definitely improving each video. And as you said before, that in terms of the times it's set, like, we don't know how animated series go, let alone animated movies, or animated series that are cut into animated movies. So it's possible that some episodes are made out of sequence, and even on TV they can be shown out of sequence. But... I think that's the fun in watching them because you get to pay attention and figure out when they actually occur. Yeah. So yeah. even though there are still a few reactions that are a bit quick in what they say or how they respond, it's still getting better and better each time, especially with the animation, unless otherwise stated. I'd say that this was a pretty good job of adapting Dorothy and the Wizard in The Lost Princess of Oz together with other elements of, say, Ozma of Oz and a good reference to The Wizard of Oz, especially when they say, somebody ought to write a book about it. And it's possible that this is probably the first time that these kids were hearing that particular story because they ask questions about it, they seemed a bit puzzled at certain bits, and again, there are still some bits that are not quite consistent, such as Scarecrow Jr. eating a sandwich, or the clothes being consistent in one scene, or the color, but it's still, those blue accidents or mistakes are few and far between, so nothing to make a fuss about. I believe the next adventure is Journey Beneath the Sea. I hadn't really thought about that, but hey, we might as well put it there because it definitely occurs before the final episode, and there should definitely be some space between this one and um, the Monkey Prince. I'm going to look forward to that one. We'll be getting on to the third and final trilogy, I suppose. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this has been Jay. And Sam. Bye. Bye, thanks. See you in the next one. Thank you for listening to the Royal Podcast of Oz. You can find our archive of more than 100 episodes at royalpodcastoz.podbean.com. 
You can also support the Royal Podcast of Oz at patreon.com slash royalpodcastoz. Any audio clips or images used are the copyright of their owners and no infringement is intended. The Royal Podcast of Oz is a production of Saladin Press.